gotta spread this stuff around. Let's, let's put it on the internet. Read it, browse it, stream it. Caxton Radio. We're having a cuppa. On cuppa. Caxton. Towards the end of March of this year, New York has been besieged with ever-growing cases of corona, mirroring its numbers to those in Italy and Sweden. So far, both the US and Italy have recorded their highest number of cases of COVID-19. It appears that now the pandemic has penetrated the animal kingdom. Maya and Azul, both Malayan tigers housed at the Bronx Zoo, surprisingly tested positive for this virus, which has flabbergasted veterinarians and the World Health Organization alike. Thus, we are having a cuppa this morning with an exceptional champion for our furry purring counterparts. Aurora Lumprecht has worn many hats to date. A Wits graduate with an undying passion for the English language, Aurora is a prominent interpreter of prose, namely the works of Shakespeare and Bronte, even the poetry works of Kipling, Milton, and Oscar Wilde. She utilized both her passion and her knowledge as an educator for many a year. But in recent years, she has segued from education to dedicate her time to creating awareness among cat lovers of what's known as feline infectious peritonitis, or FIP for shorthand. She currently serves as co-founder of the FIP Advisory and Care Group, as well as serving as Global Community Relations Director for the End FIP Initiative. In this capacity, she also acts as an ambassador to namely Africa, the Middle East, and Turkey. If you were to for a mere moment think that that is a full plate, you better think again. In between her commitments, she also manages to somehow scrounge up time towards studying a doctorate in the field of metaphysics. Aurora has been kind to join us via Zoom this morning to talk to us about her passion for Feeler Day, her devotion to ending FIP worldwide, and how the coronavirus pandemic affects them as well. Aurora, welcome to Caxton Radio. Morning, Chris. Thank you so much for hosting me today. It's an absolute privilege to be able to share my knowledge. And it's a privilege for us to have you here. Let's take this way back to start. You had been an educator for so long. Where precisely did the decision to transition and create awareness of FIP on a full-time basis actually start for you? As you know, COVID-19 has touched us all and with new emerging information, people have a lot of questions about this disease and how it affects them and their pets. So I'm happy to help bring awareness and education about these topics to people out there. How did this affect my life? Well, first of all, FIP is a very rare disease. 95% of cats will be exposed, but only four of these actually develop FIP. Sadly, I experienced almost a 33% rate of FIP amongst my cats that I've had in my life. And when I lost my third cat to this disease, I realized there was a need for more information. She was a 22-month-old cat who had the neurological form of the disease. And what we went through will always, always haunt me. My vet was amazing, but acknowledged that there was a lack of information available due to the rarity of this disease. I contacted people overseas, began my own reading and research, and then I reached out to the two most notable authorities of this disease overseas, um, persons by the name of Dr. Niels Peterson and Dr. Diane Addy. And I was actually very surprised when I got an answer from them. I joined a page dealing with FIP, 
and became an admin on the page. However, there was a notable lack of advice regarding interpretation of the diagnostics, and so we established MIP Advisory and Care Group at the end of 2016. In the group, we've identified to date a 45% rate of misdiagnosis of this disease in our group. And this just validates the value of what we do. I hear you, and uh, if I may, with all the groundwork you have put in in so many facets in a relatively short period, you may well be considered a renaissance woman, and that's a compliment I give to you freely. Continuing with the theme of feline infectious peritonitis, can you provide us more or less what are the symptoms of the disease based on your research so far? So Chris, it's a very complex disease. And if I have to go into all the intricacies of the disease, I would have you and the audience tied up in knots for days and weeks and months. Right, so first of all, we need to know that FIP was identified as a disease in the early 1960s in America. Right now, the disease FIP actually is caused by the virus, feline coronavirus, much in the same way that the disease COVID-19 is caused by the SARS coronavirus in humans. All right, so now feline coronavirus is an enteric virus. That means it's of the gut. So like COVID-19, many cats will be asymptomatic, which means that they show no signs at all. However, in some it will present as a very mild diarrhea with some sneezing. And it's only when the virus crosses the gut barrier and into the bloodstream that it becomes the fatal form of the disease, which we know as feline infectious peritonitis. There are two recognized forms of the disease, and each is characterized by common and then particular symptoms. The two forms of FIP are known as effusive or wet FIP and non-effusive or dry FIP. In the wet form, there's an accumulation of fluid in the abdomen or chest cavities caused by a condition known as vasculitis. And what that basically means is that the blood vessels leak protein-rich plasma into these cavities, causing a very characteristic distension. The main symptoms between both the forms are that the cat will become lethargic, they'll have loss of muscle mass, they stop eating, have anemia, a mild unresponsive temperature, and then the blood work that is done will show certain values that are out of the norm. Now, wet FIP is the more aggressive form of the disease, and this is due to the body's ability to mount uh, or to not mount a cell-mediated immune response. In dry FIP, the virus manages to reach and affect certain organs such as the kidneys, the liver, spleen, possibly the eyes, or even the brain. Cats will again present with lethargy, impotence, anemia, jaundice, even a condition known as uvitis. That's when it affects the eyes. Now, the supportive blood work will show certain values out of the normal range. And that's the first indicator that vets might have that this disease is present. But FIP still remains today one of the most misdiagnosed of all cat diseases because there are so many other infectious diseases that present in a very similar fashion. So it's important to follow a multiple approach when diagnosing this disease. We look step one at the cat's the history of the cat. Step two, when was the onset and the type of the symptoms? Step three is the clinical evaluation that's done by a vent. And then the last one is the blood work. Once all of that is done, then we can rule out other possible differentials and possibly rule in FIP. And at this point in time, there is no quick, sure, rapid test that can actually um, 
be suggestive of whether FIP is present or not. I hear you. So it's ongoing research on a daily basis dependent on how many cases are reported. So in doing research for this conversation between you and I, I noticed that on the website to the FIP Care and Advisory Group, there's an application, what's known as a PI calculator. Dare I ask, what is the purpose of the application and what goal does this exactly accomplish? All right, we've got to understand the disease in its broader terms. So our web page, which is www.fipgroup.com, is a supportive page to our Facebook group, FIP Advisory and Care Group, which was established to help cat parents and guardians who are faced with a suspected diagnosis. Uh, we help people with understanding blood work and assisting with options in the treatment. Now, FIP is still a fatal disease. PI is a biological called polyprenal immunostimulants. It's an FDA-approved medication which was developed to treat feline herpes virus. But it was found that used off-label, it has helped many cats become long-term survivors of the dry form of the disease. So what this calculator does is because dosage for herpes virus is so dissimilar to what the dosage for the treatment for dry FIP would be, we develop the calculator as an application so that parents could use that to determine the correct dose that their cat would be because it's very weight specific. Our webpage has many other supplementary articles on it which myself and my co-founders have written over the years to help cat parents and these encompass things such as information on supplements, information helping with grief support, knowing when it's time to help your cat cross over, diagnostic flow charts, and many other useful things that cat parents can have access to. This morning we're talking to Aurora Lumprecht, currently co-founder of FIP Care and Advisory Group, as well as Global Community Relations Director and Ambassador for End FIP. When we return, Aurora will be talking about creating awareness abroad, as well as giving her opinion on Azul and Maya and COVID-19. Share your story with us and join the Caxton Radio community. More local, more often. We're having a cuppa. On cuppa. Caxton. My guest today is Aurora Lamprecht, co-founder of FIP Care and Advisory Group on Facebook, as well as Global Community Relations Director and Ambassador for End FIP. Aurora, to continue, we move on to the aspect of creating awareness abroad. In your position as Global Community Relations Director, how has the response been with other countries, globally speaking? Right, now the first thing to understand is that FIP is ubiquitous. That means that it's found worldwide. So this is a global problem. Um, We have identified that it does seem to have pockets where it is much more prevalent. South Africa being one of the countries, the Middle East, places like Turkey. And that's actually why I'm ambassador to Africa, the Middle East and Turkey. When I first started out in this, I made a lot of connections around the world. And I worked a lot with people in Turkey and especially in the Middle East. So I've got good contacts in those areas. Now, in the current climate with COVID-19, everything is changing and we are becoming much more integrated within this whole medical world. Now, we do know that a need for education and awareness is needed. And so we identified 
that we needed a user-friendly site. And this was established by Maria Benino in the Global Initiative, NFIP. The website's address is www.nfip.com. And the initiative reaches all the corners of the globe. People are curious, and you get those people who were touched by the disease like myself and who are driven to find answers. Remember, it's not a well-understood disease despite it being researched for ages and for decades. NFIP was also established because up until a few years ago, funding was for research at facilities that use lab animals to study this disease. Right, we are very much opposed to that. We hold a very strong ethical and moral code and we will not fund or help any institution that uses animals as lab rats. So NFIP has got another arm called the Luca Fund for FIP Research, which was founded to support research into the disease through Glasgow University, who proudly do not use animals for any of their research. So as the Global Community Relations Director, it's my task to ensure that all the newsletters and articles are shared with the many hundreds of cat pages and groups around the world. I'm also responsible for assisting in the fund drives that are held from time to time. All the monies go to Glasgow University's BDS, as the very, very uh, Veterinary Diagnostic Services FIP research team. Then as I stated, I'm also Ambassador for Africa, the Middle East and Turkey as I established a presence in these countries over the past seven years. At the moment, I write for NFIP, uh, for a Turkish web-based cat group, which has over 16 million viewers. That is superb to hear. Awesome stuff. Now, I assume that you're familiar as well with Azul and Maya, who tested positive for COVID-19. Did that prove a surprise to you when that revelation made headline news? Simple answer, yes. And the reason for this is Coronavirus Day, as a group of viruses, is a huge group of viruses. All right, most coronaviruses are species specific. So you'll get feline coronavirus, canine coronavirus, bovine coronavirus, a whole lot of them, but they are species specific. They are actually the largest group of viruses known to man. But coronaviruses are also then divided into four subgroupings named alpha, beta, gamma, and delta. Now, feline and canine coronaviruses are found in the subgroup alpha, while SARS and many of the human coronaviruses are beta viruses. So the feline coronavirus is as well an enteric virus, as we mentioned earlier, so it lives in the gut, while the human SARS coronavirus are respiratory in nature. So the first hint of zoonosis, which is the transmission of disease between species, was actually two dogs in Hong Kong. That was the very first indication of that right in the beginning of the onset of COVID-19. Shortly after that, it was followed by the indication of a cat in Belgium that was also suspected to show signs of COVID-19. However, this was a lot of dispute because they didn't know whether the virus was due to environmental factors or actual infection as the viral load was found to be very weak. Shortly after these cases, an interview was conducted with lead virologist and world-renowned feline coronavirus researcher, Dr. Gary Whitaker of Cornell University, who expressed that reverse zoonosis, which is a one-way transmission, was actually possible. So he was the first person who gave a hint that this was really going on. 
However, what we do know is that animals are what are called dead-end hosts, which means that the virus actually stops with them. They cannot reinfect us. Shortly after this interview, the case of the tigers, lions and other big cats at the Bronx Zoo was released. And to date, two more cats and one pug have actually tested positive. However, I need to stress at this point that these are unique and rare cases. It's one-way transmission and the virus dies with the host. In fact, shortly after the case of the dogs in Hong Kong, the Chinese did do some experiments infecting dogs, cats, ferrets, primates with COVID-19. Again, something I am very vehemently opposed to. But what they did find was that it firstly required very high viral loads for the animals to become infected, way above what is normal that any animal will ever be exposed to. Also, when they put the infected animals together with non-infected animals, there was no cross-infection between these animals. So it cannot even be transmitted from animal to animal. So common sense in this case should always prevail when we have pets. Always wash your hands after playing or petting them. And that is not because of COVID-19. It's just basic good hygiene practice. After the break, we conclude our conversation with Aurora Lamprecht talking about FIP and COVID-19. Aurora will also share how the Cheetah Conservation Fund approached it to become an advisor. More local, more often. This is Caxton Radio. We're having a cuppa On cuppa Caxton On Cuppa Caxton this morning we are privileged to have Aurora Lamprecht with us talking about FIP and COVID-19. Now Aurora we were talking about Azul and Maya before the music break. It's a saving grace those tigers were able to recover well. If it were any other given circumstance to my mind when an animal begins showing serious symptoms the assumption is sadly that animal needs to be euthanized. What could the valuable alternative be? But historically, as you said, Azul and Maya would likely have been euthanized. Right, but we've come a very long way and the medical profession are much more geared into trying to treat and understand diseases and disease processes. It's the way in which we learn as a human race and species. So in this case, was first decided to do the correct testing and then to see whether treatment would help, how it was needed. It's also provided a very good scenario to answer lurking questions that people may have had. This case also stresses the need for information into feline coronaviruses and coronaviruses as a whole and the need for One Health, where both animal and human health overlap. And much of what we know can actually be extrapolated to COVID-19. Many of the trial treatments used on cats in years past are what is now being trialed for the treatment of COVID-19, something not many people actually are aware of. Remdesivir, which is much in the news these days, was trialed three to four years ago for use in cats under the name GS441524. That's the parent drug to Remdesivir. About four or five years ago, mefloquine and azithromycin was used in a study at Sydney University to be used with, um, in the treatment of FIP in cats. So these treatments, 
that have actually been touched on in the past are now being found to be useful for human beings. So there is definitely a cross correlation between what is happening in cats in terms of feline coronavirus and what is happening in people today with the COVID-19 epidemic. Now, the one thing that I have in my experience found is that vets are an incredible group of people. I've yet to meet a vet who will not go over and beyond to find what is the underlying cause of an illness and symptoms in an animal. But what this does highlight is that we do need more research and more research means more funding and sadly, animal research is a very much neglected area. Aurora, bringing everything to a close now, you're busy with FIP Care and Advisory Group as well as NFIP. Now the Cheetah Conservation Fund has approached you to become an advisor. What exactly will your capacity be in that occupation? Okay, we've known for a very long time that FIP touches all fairly day. Okay, that's just a very fancy name for big cats, domestic cats. Right, in fact, I don't know if you did know this, but ferrets actually even get a form of FIP as well. So, you know, it's, it's a very huge and broad-based topic. But cheetah are much more disposed because their species is one with very limited genetic diversity. Now, in the development of FIP, um, historically it was always uh, thought of as being a coronavirus that mutates. But now it's known that it's actually still the coronavirus once it crosses into the bloodstream, but it develops due to a number of multiple factors. Firstly, there's got to be the presence of feline coronavirus. There's got to be a genetic flaw. Stress plays a huge part, as does an aberrant immune system, and then poor gut health your immune system actually operates from your gut so it's all very integrated now as i said as well cheetah are much more predisposed to that because they do not have genetic diversity amongst their numbers now because i've worked in the field for over seven years i've developed contacts around the world i've networked i've spoken to top researchers i've got a long long list of names and contacts and i was very lucky to reach out to one of the vets involved in the Cheetah Conservation Fund. And they are having a huge problem with FIP amongst the cheetah in Somaliland. So where I come in is that I'm helping them to draw up the names of people that they can access for information. What we have found works in terms of um, preventing transmission, helping and keeping transmission down, what the treatment options are in terms of um, going forward. So in other words, when Rendisavir does become available generally to the whole public, will this also be something that can be used for the cheetah? So it's really just to share communal pool of knowledge. And the one section in this as well is also bringing in FIP, the global initiative together with the Cheetah Conservation Fund and the protocols that we have established in rescues and shelters to keep transmission down, we can now extend that to be done with the cats that are out there in Somaliland. And then obviously as an English language specialist, I'm also available to the Teacher Conservation Fund to help them edit and proof any of their documents or anything that they want to put out to the public. So yes, I'm wearing many hats.
indeed. On Kappa Caxton this morning, we were fortunate to have a cuppa with Aurora Lumbrecht, someone who clearly can't sit still when it comes to matters of the heart. She is co-founder of the FIP Care and Advisory Group, as well as Global Community Relations Director and Ambassador for the End FIP Initiative. We covered many topics, namely FIP and COVID-19 among Fila Day. Aurora, before we finish, if people were to hear of this only now, how can they get in touch with you? People are welcome to contact me via Facebook, either on my personal page or my own FIP page called Project Fight FIP in South Africa. They can contact me via Messenger or my email address, which is projectfightfip at gmail.com. And then those that want to learn more about this disease can access any one of three web pages, namely www.endfip.com www.fipcaregroup.com or www.fiptreatmentnews.com and it's through education that we create awareness and through awareness that we'll finally end FIP. Spoken like a true patriot. Aurora, thank you for your time and we wish you all the best. We lift our cuppa to you. Chris, it's indeed been an absolute pleasure to chat with you. We gotta spread this stuff around. Let's, let's put it on the internet. Read it, browse it, stream it. Caxton Radio.